0: Players are recorded live in-game. Audio quality may vary. The following episode contains adult themes and simulated role-play violence. Listener discretion is advised. Sonic.
1: You disembark from the bus and walk to the next transfer point. You haven't needed to take public transportation for quite some time and have forgotten how tedious it can be. The fact that you're going to the DMV to fill out some missing paperwork doesn't make it any better. You decide this would be a good time to download some podcasts for the next leg of the trip. You check out Sonic Realms, your favorite podcast, to see if there are any new episodes available. None, of course. Big surprise. Why does it take so long to make new episodes? You decide to check out the Sonic Rums website. You look up as you wait for the clumsily constructed website to load, and walk past a building you haven't noticed before. When did this happen? You rarely come through this part of the town, but you're pretty sure you remember this building. It seems a little out of place, and you can't put your finger on why, until you realize there are no windows. You look down an adjacent alley next to the building, and don't see any windows there either, just a smooth wall. Steam rises from a grate in the alley, and it catches your eye. It looks like it's catching a ray of sun and creating this kind of rainbow inside of it as it gently twists around itself. You look up and notice an absence of sunlight in the alley. Where are these shifting colors coming from? Is it the steam itself? You decide to walk over and get a picture to post later. You look at your phone to see a half-loaded Sonic Realms website inching its way down the screen and fail to see a loose brick on the ground. You trip, and instinctively open your hands to throw them in front of you. Your phone flies out of your hands as you fall into some grime on the ground. You quickly stand up and see that your clothes are now filthy. Great. This day just keeps getting better and better. You look around and see your phone precariously balanced on top of the grate. That was too close of a call. As you approach your phone, you blink your eyes three times hard. If you didn't know any better, you would almost swear some of this prismatic steam is flowing into your phone. It must be a trick of the light or something. You bend over to pick up your phone carefully. It isn't wet at all. Oh, you shouldn't be here. Please step away from that vent. You turn to see a man in what initially looks like a white doctor's coat wearing complicated goggles standing near an open door. Strange, you didn't think there were any doors before. The white coat has more pockets than a doctor's coat should, and there's some kind of ornate light silvery pattern embedded in the fabric that reflects what little direct light there really is in this alley. What brought you here, to this alley in particular?
2: What have you got there?
1: You put one palm up showing you're not a threat, while you place your cell phone back in your pocket. The man watches carefully. Did you drop your... Uh, what do they call it? Ah. Uh, Your cell phone, on the grate? You nod. The man looks at his watch, which illuminates his face and reflects bright purple light off the lenses of his goggles. Hmm.
2: I don't foresee this causing any problems. Enjoy
1: it while it lasts. He makes an odd (coughs) salute towards you with his hands and walks back inside the building, closing the door behind him. Once again, the side of the building looks like an unbroken wall with no outline of a door anywhere. You wish you could stay to investigate this further, but you really don't want to miss your appointment at the DMV. You walk away from the alley to the next bus stop, looking behind occasionally to see if anyone is following you. What a weird experience. You see the bus stop and have the seat. You get out your cell phone, unlock it, and the Sonic Realms front page pops on your screen. You look at it for a moment, then raise an eyebrow. Something is different. The website looks much better than it ever has. Professional, even. Did the website update while you were in the alley? It looks like there's a note at the top of the page. It reads,
2: Without your help, we wouldn't be here today as the world's number one creators and distributors of hyper-chronicalized entertainment. From the early struggle during the podcast years to the current listener participated and supported Sonic Realms production company, You, the fans, are the key to the success of our pay-what-you-want model, which is currently challenging capitalistic paradigms of audio entertainment. Together, we've created expansive, living, breathing worlds with the help of listener participation. With your donations, we've gone from a single person to a team of editors able to bring you more hypercuts faster than ever before. We here at Sonic Realms Productions just want to say a big thank you to the fans, supporters, participants, and patrons for all of your support through the years. Years? This show hasn't even been around that long. This
1: website looks good though. No pop-ups, no banners. You don't see any ads at all. You look up to the corner of the screen and see something perplexing. The date reads 3 23 2025? This must be some kind of joke, or more likely an error. You scroll down and see a list of tabletop games with drop-down episode guides attached. You keep scrolling. There are a lot of games here. They couldn't all be Hyper Chronicles, could they? You stop scrolling in the middle of the list. Mouse Guard? You think you've heard of it. That's the one where you play as medieval mice soldiers or something, right? You look down the street, no bus in sight. Uh, you know, what the hell? You click on a random episode, and put on your headphones.
3: Sonic Realms presents... A Mouse
4: Girl I, 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 Hypercut
5: Jaren, Tybalt, and Endelin continue their march to the village of Grasslake. It has been a mostly uneventful trip from Wolf Point, and the first signs of summer are beginning to appear. New green leaves are beginning to clothe naked trees, flowers are blooming, and green grass crawling beyond the edges of the dirt path they are walking on. Tybalt is writing notes in his journal as he walks, as Endelin grimly stares forward, her mind elsewhere. Jarn is looking forward to resting his old bones in the village. This is his final patrol in his long, decorated service to the guard. Upon resting in Grass Lake, They plan to continue on and end their patrol in the village of Barkstone, where Jarn will retire and hang up his cloak for good, exchanging it for an apron in a cheese shop he plans to open after he retires.
6: It should just be over this hill here, just up ahead. As
5: they crest the hill, Harold, a friend of Jaren, comes running through the marsh grass towards the patrol. Enderlin quickly reaches for the hilt of her sword and Tebalt nudges his round spectacles further up his snout.
6: Oh, Jaren, am I glad to see you! A giant monster! A monster in Grass Lake is tearing down the town, eating mice! Whoa, whoa. It's crushing my brewery! Slow down, Harold. You're not making any sense. What, what monster? What do you mean? There's some kind of giant... thing. It has a shell, I think. It's enormous! It, it's chomping away at everything. Its beak is like iron! A shell and a beak? Yes! I think it's... I think it's some kind of turtle!
5: The patrol looks beyond Harold's shoulder and sees thick clouds of black smoke billowing from the village.
6: Anderlin, Tybalt, what do you think about checking out the brewery? Seeing the damage? I think we should go there immediately. We should subdue the monster as soon as possible. Well, we do need to check out all the damage and see if anybody's been hurt. But we also need to get that turtle away from this place before it crushes us all. I'm more concerned about the turtle, Tybalt. I'm concerned about the town. The damage we can figure out later. It's destroying everything right now, as we speak! It was in my brewery! It's destroying Honeywind's bakery! It's eating other mice! I guess that means we should go. Let's go! Now? Yep. Come on, you two. Into the town, double time!
5: The town is a scene of mayhem. A gigantic snapping turtle has crawled up out of the lake and beached itself in the town square. My god! The turtle is crushing wharfs, sinking ships and boats. It has wedged itself between Harold's Brewery and Honey Wine's Bakery. The turtle appears to be sunning itself as well as basking in the heat of the bakery. What a monster! The mice of Grass Lake have gathered in a hushed and horrified crowd at the far end of the town square. The monster is eyeing the mice, clearly thinking about its next meal. Sharon eyes the crowd and sees familiar faces. Honeywind the baker is watching her life's work burn to cinders. The mayor is panicking, having lost control of the situation.
6: I got this.
5: Endelin pushes Tidbolt in front of them.
6: We need bait. Once they're away from the bakery, I can kill it, watch. Um, I agree with your need for bait, but in order to get the bait, we need to bait it away from the town altogether, and then you can kill it, deal? That's too much work. Trying to drag it out of town might cause more parts of the town to be damaged. Safety first. Angelin. you're from Port Sumac. Do you know what turtles like to eat besides mice? Cabbage, sometimes. Well, maybe there's some food around here we can use to distract it. I turn to Tybalt. Tybalt, if you're going with Jaren to help evacuate the town, you might have to ask people if we can use their pets to bait out this turtle. It's a rough job, but I think you can convince them. That's a good idea. I think it could work. Then go, go my friend. This is a necessary sacrifice. Tybalt, come with me. We're going to try and evacuate the town. Endelin, keep an eye on the turtle, and if it starts moving and destroying things, come find us. Yes, sir. And then I draw my sword in preparation facing the turtle. Tybalt, let's go to the town center. Let's run, now.
5: Tybalt and Jaren
6: run into the crowd. You need to run. Get out of the village. Leave it behind. Jarin's voice is lost in a panicked crowd's screams. Behind. I grab Tybalt by the shoulders and pull him in close. Tybalt, get up to a roof and address the crowd. Get them to go south. I scurry up to a third floor roof and scream. I have something to say! All of you, run! Run in that direction! Away from the turtle! Go! 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 Go!
5: A grizzled-looking mouse elbows his way through the crowd towards Jared and puts his face close to his.
6: Well, well, well. Look who it is. Playing the hero, as always. Gavin, I was hoping we wouldn't run into you. You should leave while you have the chance. You think I'm one of your precious pupils you can order around? I know you. I know what you did, or rather didn't do, for my son. And now it's happening again. I momentarily look to the ground in anguish, then look up to meet Gavin's eyes. No. Unlike you, I learned from my shortcomings. Your son had a choice, as you do now. Run away from here to safety, we will settle our differences after this crisis is over. Now is not the time. I'm inclined to agree with you, Jerin. I'll be waiting on the outskirts of town,
7: waiting for you.
5: Gavin scurries away with the rest of the
7: crowd. Run south!
6: A wave and a turtle! Listen to her. What she said. Stop spying Just get out of here. Story for your lives. Leave the jewelry, lady. You can't take it with you when you die. Leave it behind. <laughs> you can't eat jewelry. Most
5: of the mice run out of town, but Honeywind, the baker, remains. Alternating between following the crowd and turning around to run to her bakery.
6: You've got to get out of the village. This is everything to me. I can't lose this. You must be Honeywind, yes? There's nothing you can do here. You'll lose your life if you stay.
5: Honeywind begins to come to her senses. (laughs) She wipes away the tears from her eyes. (laughs) You're right. This is is my life, buddy. (laughs) She turns and staggers away, all the while looking behind her as her bakery falls to pieces. The town is now devoid of mice except for Jaren, Tybalt, and Endolyn, who have regrouped a safe distance away
6: from the turtle. We did it! Everyone's safe! I climbed down off the roof and, uh, join my companions. The turtle is still here! Alright, let's deal with this turtle. Finally, my time has come.
5: The tortoise turns, smashing the brewery down. Flames erupt to its sides, illuminating its green skin in an orange light.
6: Ah, great. Now we have a fire on our hands. We need to get the turtle out of here, now! There's a beetle farm off to the west side of the village. Do I have any volunteers to let them free and corral them towards the turtle? We can draw him out of town if he takes the bait. I'll get it, boss. Go, Endolyn.
5: Endolin runs west and finds a corral of beetles. She opens the gate, but they remain in their pastures. Go! The beetles look up at her, then go back to grazing.
6: I squat down and put my hands up, like like claws or pincers or something. I walk side to side a bit in front of them, my eyes locked with their beady ones. Come with me! Come with me! As soon as they start to follow me, I stand up proper and stop embarrassing myself, and I start to lead them towards the turtle. I don't want my fellow mouse guards to see this because they have cloaks and I don't. I just don't want to be remembered for this. I turn around behind me. <laughs> Jaren? Hi. I saw everything. Damn it! Let's not let's not talk about this right now. Agreed. There's no time. I'll just say you could give Bruno Mouse a run for his money.
5: The turtle's head swivels slowly, raises, and starts sniffing the air. It dislodges itself and stands between the destroyed bakery and
6: brewery. I walk, with my sword held high, leading a line of beetles behind me like a march. And then I see the turtle move, and I bring my sword down. And I stare at it, prepared.
5: The turtle begins to lumber forward towards the walking buffet. Slowly gaining speed, all the while knocking down buildings and trampling wagons. It goes from a canter to full speed directly at Endolin.
6: I wait for it, sword out, light on my haunches. As soon as it gets close enough, I jump to the side, and it slash for its eyes. Oh, Endolin, what are you doing? I scurry to a nearby rooftop, hoping you're. Hoping I'll be able to jump to the beast's shell when it passes. Elevated position!
5: Tybalt dashes up to a rooftop opposite of Jaren and reaches behind him, first drawing his bow, then producing an arrow from his quiver and knocking it.
6: As the turtle approaches to attack, I raise my shield to defend. We look each other in the eye.
5: The tortoise slows down and glares at anyone, who is the only thing standing between it and the herd of beetles. They begin to try and maneuver around each other.
6: I try moving to the side, but he also moves to the side. So I try to move to the other side, but he also moves to the other side.
5: As the turtle tries to pivot around Underwood, its massive frame begins to swing toward the building Jaren is standing on.
6: I'm getting too old for these pellets. I take a few steps back, then leap onto the turtle's shell as the building crumbles behind me.
1: You take off your headphones and get ready to board the approaching bus. That was... interesting. Pretty good, actually. Totally different than what you'd expected. You pay the bus fare and find an unoccupied seat, immediately getting back to exploring the website. There's an incredible amount of content here. It's like Netflix for hypercuts. You only scroll down for a moment when you see one of your favorite tabletop role-playing games. This should be good. You click on an episode and eagerly don your headphones once again.
0: Sonic Realms presents. A game whose name we cannot say for legal reasons. Legal reasons, Legal reasons. Hypercut. Set
8: in an original world. A moonless night falls over the shore ocean off the coast of Dejora. A small ship glides across the surface of the water like a skipping stone. Three mercenaries sit in the passenger and driver's seats. Their quarry is a slaver ship called the Rugaya, which had almost three days' lead on them. Piloting the boat is a hired gun called Askar. He wears a simple chain shirt over leather armor to match the many belts and bandoliers strapped across his body, quite the contrast to Gruus, who sits behind him in full plate armor, an ornate image of a rooster emblazoned across his chest. Both men are from a country called Unamond, but Oskar has never worked with Grus, nor with Virtanen behind him. A warrior of Toski ancestry, the half-orc, half-human Virtanen was raised as a man by the rules of their culture, despite being born a woman. She wears lighter armor than her business partner Gruus, and sits in silence next to him. Eka, a feathered dinosaur, rubs his head into her leg as a monkey pokes his head out of her shirt. In the dark of night, only Virtanen, with her orcish eyes, is able to spot the black sails of the second ship they were told to look out for, as it closes in on the Rugaya. Larger than their boat, this third ship from the church is still quite small and low to the water. The brothers and sisters of the Order of Seven Senses have remained undetected by the slavers so far. Virdanen sits at the front of the ship, stroking the fur and feathers of her animals.
9: I have been sitting at the bow of the ship for most of the time that we have been traveling. I look back to Gruz. I point at the ship. I believe that we have found the other ship. I strain my eyes and raise my hand to my head
10: to get good looks and still see nothing.
3: I am completely oblivious to what they're saying and to what she is pointing at as I drink the last fourth of
8: my bottle, and hum my song. The hour grows later still, and the church ship grows closer. They prepare for their attack as they pass beyond the point where they can expect to go unnoticed. Yet no alarm goes out. Twenty heavily armed men and women in gleaming mail pour over the side of their own ship and onto extended boarding ladders. As the last of the paladins climb on deck, it seems for a fleeting moment that they have been successful in their infiltration. Suddenly, a rain of arrows comes down upon them as several half-orcs and humans appear from their hiding places in the rigging above. The few paladins that are carrying bows pull them out to fire back, but the booming sound of rifle fire is the last thing they ever hear as a second group appears from the crow's nest, firing downward. Roaring, screaming, and laughing half at- orcs and humans burst into the night and attack the unprepared paladins like a force of nature. Oscar Viertenen. Bruce, watch as one after another, the proud voices of the paladins are snuffed out by the superior numbers of their Tosky ambushers. Despite the severity of their battle, it had taken less than three minutes.
3: I look upon the scene in front of me and uh, give a short laugh. <laughs> Those
9: poor blighters. <laughs>
8: Virtanen pats Aika's head gently as she continues to glare at the other ship.
9: They were not expecting the third wave. When you have fast slave ships and they take important people, they always have three waves, not two.
3: She's right. You were counting.
9: Of course, you have to count. That is what a professional does. You pay attention to things other than the bottle.
3: Well, you count your men, and I'll count my
9: six. I've also been counting our sips.
8: On board the Rugaya, the battle is finished and the crew begins moving the bodies into a pile. Their once gleaming armor, now covered in blood.
9: We shall probably move forward. They're going to want to take that armor. It's very nice. I take a moment and put my backpack off. I unwrap
10: my bastard sword and strap it to my back. Unfold my tower shield and prep it for combat. Load my heavy crossbow with one of its large harpoon-tipped bolts. Sling that over my other shoulder and pull my helmet down. I'm ready.
3: I suppose you are. I will take out my rifle and unfold it before taking out my pistol and placing it gently on my hip. Alright, you guys go in and hit things and I'll sit somewhere not within hitting range and shoot things. So,
9: um, where are we going to find you?
3: Just where the bullets come from? I don't know. Just leave me on the boat. I guess we'll they're on the boat. We're on the boat. Park a little ways away. How well do you swim? That one has problems swimming. A doggy paddle. I look gross up and down. It's the, uh, all of that, isn't it? Armor and such.
9: <laughs> yes, something like that. Why don't you go and open your other bottle? I know you took uh, one more. Celebration, celebration bottle. I calmly talk to Eka as I as I pet him over the head, speaking calm words. Rauhata, rauhata Eka, rauhata. Eka does not normally come onto boats. He gets a little nervous. Mm-hmm. I turn to look at Oscar. You should stay with the ship. Perhaps you can drive around the ship a little bit out of sight and put some shots off to distract where we are. Draw away attention from the ship, the side that we're on.
3: I suppose I can uh, pilot the boat around. I could fire some shots at the deck. You mean not necessarily hit somebody, just
9: get their attention, yeah? Unless you feel like hitting someone, that is up to you. You make that call. All right. V will get back to you with paper boats. Oscar, you need to steer more through the stern. Right there, there is the shadow. We will take advantage of that.
3: All right, boss lady. I pull up my pistol so that I'm holding it on my right side and turn to the stern of the boat.
9: I take out my rope and tie one end of it around my waist, and then I throw the other end over to Bruce because sometimes he needs help climbing up.
8: Virtanen's biceps bulge as Ega climbs onto her back, gripping her midsection with his powerful haunches. Bruce ties the rope around his waist as Virtanen starts to climb.
10: I begin climbing and. The spikes on the ship, they help, but not much. I am heavy with armor, so I call upon the spirit of adventure to help me move quickly up the ship.
8: Gruus's pace noticeably quickens as Vertanen reaches the railing of the ship.
9: As I come up to the railing of the ship, I look over carefully to see if there is anyone in the direct vicinity, so that I can take them out if necessary. I peek over the side. I see another person, another orc patrolling. I hold my hand out to Bruce to tell him to stop before he gets to the top of the railing and wait for this other patrolman to walk by before I swing myself over the side and onto the deck.
8: Wirtanen sees men with brandished knives casually walking, crouching next to bodies and standing up again they're slitting the throats of the wounded survivors.
9: I hear the familiar sounds of a soft squelching as knives plunge into flesh. It is not a comforting sound, but it is a sound that I am used to. I'm confident that there is no one coming, so I will assist Groose up and over the ship onto the deck.
10: Burdened with heavy armor, using my special gifts, I aid myself magically. With Viteran's help and that of the rooster, I am able to make the ship.
8: Below deck, Veritasera de de Jasmine Rose Dicorolan is chained down and barely able to move along with the other tightly packed prisoners. To her side is a porthole, through which she has only been able to see a small sliver of sky. A rhythmic tapping outside coincides with a feeling of support, and Vera knows that her raven familiar, Catellus, has found her.
7: I turn to one of the other prisoners and give them a reassuring smile. We will get out of this. I don't know how, but we will. For probably the dozenth time, I check the chains to see if there's any give for me to try to escape.
8: Others watch as Vera
7: tests the limits of her chains. They hear the way
8: she talks, and it stirs something within them. Vera repeatedly pulls, but the chain remains locked through the holes in the wood. Inspired, the prisoner she had spoken to tries to pull his chain in sync with Vera. Their combined strength is enough to rip the metal ring from the floor that it securely fastened Vera. She is able to stand and move around, though still tethered by the chain.
7: With my newfound limited freedom, I look for any tool I might be able to reach now.
8: Vera sees Catellus outside the porthole, then looks to the other side of the room. She sees an iron key hanging on the wall above several buckets filled with human waste. She signals to Catellus, who soars across the room and fetches the rusty key ring.
7: After grabbing the key, I return the change to its position to make it appear I am still manacled.
10: Veritanen, we should go around the captain's quarters looking for a way down.
9: If we go towards the captain's quarters we will need to move fast. The patrols will be coming towards us. Then we should move with
10: the patrols and look for a hatch down stairs or something.
9: I nod in agreement and begin to move to the right.
10: I follow Beertinen. I ask the lord of chance to give us a blessing as we embark on this exciting adventure and we stealth onto the
9: ship. As we move forward, I see that there is a gathering of humans and half-orcs. It's not unusual to have so many of those on the ship, but the thing that stands out is the very large orc. His clothing his clothing is so too fancy for an orc to be wearing. He dresses like elf. It's ridiculous. It's, uh, if, if I was not in a position to having to stay quiet, I would be laughing out loud at this man.
8: Gruce and Virtenen make it to the captain's cabin and prepare for their next move.
9: I hold the hand up to Bruce to make sure that he knows that we are stopping. And I listen through the door to see if there is anything, um, anyone making any sounds on the other side before I peek into it.
8: Virtenen hears a quiet rustling on the other side of the captain's door.
9: I push the door open very slowly before I peek
8: inside. Through the crack in the door, Viertenen sees a silhouette of a small person using some kind of fabric loom. Scattered throughout the room are cabinets, armoires, and chests. She also sees a hatch of some kind on the floor, which could be a safe or an ingress.
9: up slowly from the door and then I lean over to groups and I whisper to him one man, many things you talk
10: I nod in response and quietly I open the door and head in with my heavy crossbow in hand I'm going to move up behind the, the weaver who's working the loom he has no idea I am there as I get closer I whisper quietly to the master of risk to give me the ability to make this man speak only the truth, because I know this is a gift I have been given before.
8: As Gruce approaches, he begins to see that the small person in the room is a woman.
10: As I get close enough, I look to the floor to see if she is shackled in her spot.
8: She is not physically bound in any way that would restrain her, but her neck is adorned with an intricately designed red and black leather collar. She appears to be a well-kept prisoner But a prisoner nonetheless
10: upon seeing this gilded prisoner i move forward with heavy crossbow so when she turns she will see a large man in full armor with crossbow pointed at her my mask is up so she sees a smile at least and i tap her on her shoulder with the crossbow hello (sighs) and then i put my finger to her lips so she speaks none just yet
8: her eyes go wide but she stays quiet
10: with one hand I put my heavy crossbow down, and I kneel so that we are at least eye to eye. I am looking for a woman on the ship. She has bronze skin, bronze hair, with uh, white in hair. Can you tell me where to find her? Quietly, please.
5: I I don't know where anyone specific is. I don't normally get out of this cabin. All the prisoners, they're
10: deck in the cargo hold. Ja this is good. I point to the hatch. Does this go down to that deck? It goes down to that deck, but you'll have to go to the other end of the ship. That's where the cargo hold is. I look to Vertenin with a nod, and then I turn back to my current captive. Thank you. You are very nice. Und I like you. You will promise to keep quiet and say nothing of this, yes? What do I get? When I leave this ship, I promise to come get you and take you with. Would that would be my promise to you. If you're telling the truth, then I agree.
5: Let me just tell you, if you do that, I will make sure that you are rewarded.
10: I am able to do that. I spit into my hand and extend it for a firm shake.
8: She looks at the outstretched hand for a moment, clearly looking for a way out of shaking Grus's hand, then points to a cabinet on the wall near the downward ingress.
10: They keep the slaves important personal
5: effects in that cabinet.
10: Ah, that's good. Ah, uh, I promise to return. If I fail, the speeder adventurer most likely will leave me. Because he hates broken promises. So we will be back. Promise.
9: I hope you're right. Listen to him. Say those words, those words that I hate. We do not need to help other people. We need to do our job. I turn to Ferdinand.
10: We have found what we need to know. We must go back the way we came. There, we will be able to find the person we're looking for and get off the ship. But uh, as you have heard, I have uh, done my thing that you hate I do. So we have to come back here for her.
9: Is she going to pay us? Or are we just doing this out of the goodness of your heart? Ferdinand? we are getting paid. We have been told we've gone the wrong way. That is payment. We're doing this now and we're stuck into this thing. You do realize that we don't have enough room on our boat to help every single person on the ship, right? You do know that. So you cannot continue to say, Oh, we will help you. Oh, this is good. Oh, we must help you So much. You can't do that. John, yeah. or
10: well, how many, how much room? Do you think we have on the boat? Ten? Twenty more people? Deirdreland, I need an answer. How many people can I save?
9: No one else fits on our boat. If you want to save other people, you give them those shitty little paper boats. They can roll their way all the way back home.
10: Deirdreland, that is brilliant. You're so smart. We should go back now.
8: The weaver points to the hatch in the floor with urgency.
10: You'll
5: have
9: to go to the other side of the ship. whether you do that from above or below, it's up to you. The majority of the people are up there speaking with that well-dressed orc. So if we go down, we might have a better chance to uh, avoid any conflict.
8: When Verdun mentions the well-dressed orc, the Weaver noticeably tenses up and shrinks backward.
9: Interesting.
8: Vera silently observes the final seconds of her five-minute countdown, waiting to be sure that the guard who returned a prisoner to his spot and chained him down again was gone. As she counts, she goes over what she's going to say in her head. At the moment she hits five minutes, she stands.
7: Everyone, I believe the time to act is now. Look, I was able to wrench some of my bonds loose. I think if we all work together, we can get out of here.
8: That's easy for her to say. She's the only one who
7: hasn't been questioned, or worse.
11: Yeah, and what about that? Why aren't they questioning you?
7: I do not know their motives but I do believe that the more constructive thing to do right now is escape rather than point fingers. Where are
8: we escaping to exactly?
7: It's not like we have anywhere to go. You haven't been outside, you don't know. I'm confident we can take over this ship. Take over the ship? We have the numbers.
8: The captive Dijorans look at each other. Most of them are not fighters. Some had even tried to fight and failed. Within most people, though, is a desire to live that allows people to try once more, again and again.
7: Let's all pull on our bonds together. Our combined strength should be enough to break us free.
8: The slaves prepare and wrap their hands around the chains.
7: Ready? Pull. Pull.
8: Iron loops strain against the bolts holding them down as wood splinters around it, bit by bit. We can do the more the chains loosen, Again. the more momentum everyone is able to muster. Once more! The primary anchor to the chain rips out and falls to the floor. Everyone then slips their wrist manacles from the chain, no
7: longer bound to anything. What about the ones below? I take a length of chain and wrap it around my neck, sort of like a boa. Vera walks to a locked hatch in the floor. I take the key and place it into the keyhole.
8: Vera is only able to descend a short distance into the darkness before her feet bump into someone's head. The people down here are not chained, just too tightly packed to move freely. They have been unceremoniously stored down here with no light or waste buckets. Dirty faces look up and squint at the ray of light that is beaming down from the hatch behind Vera. Her silhouette seems almost celestial as she holds the ladder with one hand to turn and
7: address the prisoners. Everyone, we're going to make a move. If you can, get up this ladder.
8: Almost instantly, the mass of legs and arms and faces begins to hurry up the ladder toward the light.
7: I hurry up the ladder
8: and head to the main door. Under the night sky and in the waters below, Oscar sees an extremely well-dressed orc barking orders at the crew on deck.
3: Well, that's a pretty-looking orc. Maybe he should go on a fashion contest.
8: Below deck, Grus and Virtanen sneak through the hallway leading to the cargo hold, with several nondescript doors on either side of them.
9: I move forward quickly and quietly making sure that Bruce is able to keep up without making too much of a rattle and uh, make our way towards the cargo boat. I can hear another group approaching us. Quick, let's dash into here. I open the first door to the left and I enter into the room. I follow and quietly push the
10: door, closed enough so that we can still see out and not make noise and then shimmy my foot behind it
9: so that if somebody pushes hard enough, it's not going to open. Is that you, Burvis? What'd you bring me? I look in the
8: direction of the voice. There is a full orc, not well dressed, with milky, white eyes. Bruce recalls how Vyretan once told him that orcs, to prepare for battle in foreign lands, will often stare at the sun for extended periods of time so that they may more effectively fight during the day. Many are still able to see afterward, but a few think they have something to prove and stare at the sun for days. These orcs often lose much, if not all, of their vision.
10: I realize he cannot see as well. I touch Ferdinand to get her attention and then make hand gestures to my face and to the man, giving her notion to look to the
9: eyes. I nod to Grus and I keep my finger to my lips, hoping that we don't really have to cause a scene while we wait for the other group to pass by. I stay strong at the door and I make no, no- notions to move.
10: I think to myself how to get out the words. need it to give us more blessings
8: from my god. Aka crouches into an attack position. The motley crew of dirty, half-naked prisoners has climbed up the hatch with Vera. They have begun improvising weapons out of chains and manacles. The prisoner that had been arguing with her earlier approaches with a chain in his hand. Here,
7: take this, it's not the best weapon, but with these numbers, we may stand a chance. I don't need this, but thank you, it's appreciated. He nods
8: and looks to the door where many of the prisoners have congregated.
7: I press my ear against the door to listen. Step back, I'll make sure it's safe. I slowly open the door and look into the hallway.
8: Through the narrow, vertical slit, Vera sees a line of humans and half-orcs, apparently waiting to enter the room at the end of the hall, the room where the constant screaming has been coming from. The horror stories that had been whispering in the dark recesses of her mind, and the reality of what had been happening, and was still happening, crash together in Vera's mind. And all at once, she decides this injustice can no longer
7: continue. I channel my magic.
8: She bursts out of the cargo
7: hold and into the hallway. A swarm of ravens burst out of my hands and I'd start attacking the people in the hallway. The
8: slavers turn their heads only to be met by the sight of black feathers and talons flying toward them as chaos erupts in the bowels of the ship. A distinct raven perches on Vera's shoulder.
7: Nice to see you,
3: Catullus. As the boat rocks through the waves, I can't help but think I wish we'd thought of a sign so I knew when to start shooting. Purvis. Who's out there?
9: I look to Grus, raise an eyebrow, and point to my sword.
10: I look away and bring my head down just a little bit. So as I realize, this man's life will no longer be amongst us. This has to happen
9: for us to succeed at the task at hand. Grus makes no motion or words to speak to this or to try to talk to him like he always tries to talk to everyone and then I know that I get to do what I've been trained to do. Take out problems. In a fluid motion, I take out my sword as I move towards this man and swiftly attack him across the neck.
8: Beardman's sword slashes diagonally across the orc's upper chest and exposes his collarbone. Recognizing that his packmaster has a target, Aka leaps to finish off the orc with his talons. The orc quickly picks up a harpoon he appears to use as a cane and stabs it forward, repeatedly, cutting the feathered dinosaur across his haunches twice.
9: I move closer into him and stab him in his side.
8: The sword plunges through the orc and comes out the other side before Virten is able to draw the sword back out again. The old orc suddenly looks very tired, and goes very still he slumps to the ground his milky white eyes never closing
9: he was not a very resilient orc was he I rip my sword from his side take my shirt and wrap it around the blade and wipe the blade clean of blood before putting it back and then I turn my attention to Eka to make sure that he is able to continue moving or if I will need to carry him
8: Aka is bleeding, but still able to stand, and presumably fight if need be. Neither wound is deep.
9: I take out one of my smaller packs with the bandages, and I quickly bandage the more bloody of the two wounds. And then I look to groose to signal if it's all clear.
3: I shake my bottle back and forth to check if there's anything left. Seeing there's not, I toss it overboard and turn my view back to the ship. Looks like Pretty's got a bit of stuff going on. wonder if my friends have made any dent. What was that she said about counting? Ah, uh, crap. One, how many of them are there?
8: Groose, bracing the door, fully expects the group that was passing outside to come charging in. Instead, it sounds as if they are running away from their location.
10: Bertland, we have no time for bandages. It wasteful. People are running. The coast is clear. Bring him this way. I will use magic.
9: I look at him very suspiciously for a moment, and then I I remember. I have to remember every time that his magic is not so... It does not leave such a bad taste in my mouth. And then I bring Eika over to Grus for his assistance. Uh,
10: Holding true to the door, I reach to my side and whip out the world's tiniest pointy stick. In existence that has markings on it. I wave it around, and with a quick tap, I hit the bird in the head. The magical glows pass all over the place, quickly, making the bloodied wound seal very nicely.
8: As Virtenin waits for the magic to make its effect permanent, she looks around the dimly glowing room and sees three large barrels where the deceased orc was sitting.
9: As Grus is tending to Eka, I move over to the three barrels to check their contents.
8: Two of the barrels are empty, but one is half full with black powder. Sitting next to the barrel are powder charges.
9: I pick up the packets and I take them to fill them up as much as I can with the black powder. Just in case.
8: I
10: turn my attention back to the hall. I realize there is no one in the area. I look back toward Ferdinand. Ferdinand, we must go. Time is now. And then I pull the door open and I will take the lead.
9: I twist the packages very tightly so that no powder will spill out onto me. And then I follow Grus out the door as quickly as possible.
8: Amid the swarm of magical ravens, four half-orcs not only see that Vera is unbound, but that she has just used magic on their ship. Divine magic like Vera's is not considered evil amongst the Toski, unlike the Arcane. But these men do not seem to care for magic of any kind. Shaking their arms to swat at the birds, they make their way towards Vera.
7: I take the chain wrapped around my shoulders and channel infernal energy into it as I throw it out. Yes. Two chains ending in a sharp point animate and anchor themselves right on either side of the foremost attacker.
8: The chain forms a tripwire. Two of the attackers fall forward and bash their chains into the ground. One half-orc bends down to help his comrade, while another steps on his fallen brethren's head to square up and attack Thera. Behind him are several more half-works and humans, all of them well-armed. Vera prepares herself for a fight. In the distance, behind the chaotic swarm of ravens and men, beyond the attackers, Vera sees a flash of light. As a man in full plate armor, with a gleaming rooster on his chest, appears amid the assembled slavers. Behind him charges a large half orc female of all things and as if to complete this circus trio, behind her follows an almost person-sized bird lizard with dangerous-looking talons. The man in the armor makes eye contact with Vera, and a look of recognition flashes across his face.
3: Alright, uh, let's see. That looks about... There's not too many going down. There's still a bunch of guys up there.
8: Pretty still up top. The well-dressed orc begins to make his way to the captain's quarters.
3: I grip my teeth and follow him with my rifle. Not yet. Not yet. Pretty gets to live a little bit longer. Not yet.
8: The orc tries to open the door a few times, then stops and looks at it, confused. For all Oscar knows, his compatriots may be just on the other side of that door. He decides it's time to take action.
3: I squint my eyes
8: and pull the trigger.
3: I feel hot smoke hit my face as the gun splinters.
8: The gun misfires. The bullet strikes the side of the doorframe to the captain's quarters. The orc quickly looks to his side and out into the darkness, trying to see where the bullet came from. He runs to the edge of the ship with reckless abandon and looks out at the water without a second thought to any other incoming shots. Uh...
3: Quickly I reload the gun, ignoring the splinters protruding
8: from my face. The orc grabs a human next to him and hoists him over the edge, holding on to it by the neck. He looks like he says something into his ear, then drops him into the ocean.
3: Good on you, pretty.
8: He wasn't doing his job. The human surfaces and begins to tread water, looking around in all directions. He sees Oscar's boat and immediately begins swimming toward it.
3: As if my job wasn't hard
8: enough. The man ducks under the water, nearly disappearing in the darkness.
3: After loading my rifle, I ready it and point it towards the water. And fire again.
8: The bullet splashes, and the man comes up for air, gasping. His shoulder is bleeding, and he sneers at Oscar, but inhales to go back under.
3: I quickly load the musket again, putting in my paper cartridge, aim, and fire.
8: Just before Oscar fires, the man ducks under the water. Things are still for a moment. Suddenly, a hand erupts from the water and grips the boat right in front of Oscar, only to begin sinking slowly after that.
3: Holy crap. Is he dead? Lowering my musket and drawing my pistol, I look over the side of the boat.
8: Through the faint light emanating from the ship, Oscar sees a pool of blood spreading out slowly. Too much blood for the damage he had done. The swimmer does not come up again. Oh, I better not fall in there. The lower decks have exploded into anarchy. The horde of prisoners has erupted from the cargo hold in a renewed resistance of their captivity. The ravens turn to fly back in the direction of Vera. Right before they reach her, they dissipate back into the nothingness from whence they came. About a score of slavers remain in the hold. And without the ravens to distract them, they focus on the weakest of the slaves.
9: I look to Eika, Tuota, Yaketa, Nut.
8: Eka charges the nearest slaver. Talons slash at him and blood begins to spill from the slits in his clothing.
9: Yes. Following Eka, I charge forward and slice at him from the side.
8: <laughs> Bullets splash the water around the Scar's boat. He looks up and sees orcs with rifles reloading.
3: These damn dog-blooded bastards couldn't hit a damn thing. I raise the rifle to my shoulder, take aim, fire,
8: reload, and then fire again. One of the orc's guns sparks and recoils hard, injuring his hand and knocking him into the other in the crow's nest with him. The other orc falls from their perch, catching himself just in time on the rigging. The well-dressed orc retreats into his quarters.
3: He's on the run. I hope they get that bastard. I see
10: Beartman crush the enemy and melt down at the time. These slavers must be brought down. I begin rushing in as quickly as I can, drawing out my tower shield and preparing for defense. As I plant it into the deck right next to the first group of them, I raise my hand above my head and let out an immense cuckoo. At insole, the whole room is bathed in the brilliant red glimmer of light expanding from my chest and sending a huge swirling red rooster into the sky.
7: Seeing that these newcomers are here to help, I run behind the man with the tower shield. Thank you. Um, who are you?
10: My hair whips as I turn to face the bronze beauty. I am Bruce Keth Steele and we have come to save
8: you. The captives have overtaken the 20 slavers through sheer numbers, restraining them against the walls and floor. A traumatized looking woman wearing only a long, open surcoat unsteadily walks out of the room at the end of the hall, where all the orcs had previously lined up. She holds a small, improvised wooden spear in one hand and grips the door frame with the other. She stops and looks down at one of the orcs. The spear begins to glow faintly iridescent as she grits her teeth, her eyes widening. She then falls to her knees and begins stabbing the orc in the head repeatedly until she is stabbing a spread out mound of bloody bits into the floor. The wooden spear never dulls. Revenge and survival instinct intermingle as manacles smash heads and break bones. Stolen orcish swords disappear into necks and torsos. By the end of the flurry of violence, all of the slavers lie dead in a thick pool of blood, creating lines at the edges which slowly seep between the floorboards. Vera turns to Grus and Birtanen.
7: With your added help, I believe we might be able to actually take the ship.
10: Ah, yeah. About that. Uh, We are trying to take the ship. Uh, We came to take just you, and then I added someone else onto the list to be taken. So, uh, sorry. Uh, We did come with party favors. I smile broadly as I fish around in one of my pouches and pull out four folded paper cranes.
7: We can't just leave these people here.
10: Those people are not paying us to take them home. They can... There are other boats. These are boats.
7: That's not enough. We need to get everyone out of here. And the easiest way will just be take over the ship.
10: And, uh, we were sent to get you... Unless you choose to pay us more than what was being paid. We have to go with first contract.
7: The payment will be the ship.
9: We have no need for the ship. Sell it. Do I look like I am a seller of things? We are no merchants.
7: I'll find someone to sell it. I'll have my family sell it and give you the profits.
9: Uh, one moment. I
10: pick up my shield, turn it so that it is now blocking view of everyone seeing me and Vertanan, and I put it down as a wall. We have run into problem. The one we are sent for is trying to negotiate. Normally, the bad people try to negotiate. Okay, now what?
9: We take her and we go. That is what we do. If those other people want to try to follow us, fine. They can try to follow. I'm not going to stop them. I was in here to kill those people.
10: Okay. Hopefully, Oscar has had a good chance of taking people out. It'll all work out in the end. I have this. And I pick up my shield, turn it back around as if to face the entire crowd then swiftly move forward with my hand and scoop up our new friend in a nice grapple, throwing her butt on my shoulder and start quickly heading (sighs) for the door.
7: What are you? Stop it.
10: I put down my captive. I am so very, very sorry. You must understand that this is a choice that is being made for you. You can disagree with me. But, right now, uh, we make this choice because it's good. I sling my shield back onto my back and begin forcing her up the ladder. Go, go.
7: Do you have any idea of who I am?
10: I pat my captive on the ass. By the feel of it, you are a nobility.
7: I slap Groose as hard as I can. Uh, You can stop now. Reluctantly, I climb up the ladder. As
8: Vera comes up through the floor, she is met by the sight of a woman she recognizes as her
7: cousin. Eri de Corallon. Eri! Vera. I run up to hug her. What are you doing here? I've
8: been here a while. She doesn't return Vera's embrace. Instead,
7: she shivers. I back off of her. We're getting out of here. They're they're not letting me save the others. But I won't leave you here.
8: Vyrton emerges from the hatch at the same moment that another figure appears from the darkness. That plan sounds... incomplete.
7: I turn around to see who is speaking.
8: She sees a very well-dressed orc. She recognizes him from their skirmish on the shore where she was taken, though he wasn't dressed like this at the time. I thought we had a deal. Apparently
0: deals don't mean as much to your family as I thought they did.
7: The deal was that you would take me. And you did. And now I'm leaving
0: then apparently our business agreement is at an end. We can part ways as amicable enemies and begin
7: a new business
0: relationship here
7: and now. I don't want any more part of your business.
8: Very few people want to take part in my business. He points an over-large combat knife at Vera and smiles.
0: It is very, what is that phrase you people say? Cuts throats.
1: You arrive at your stop and get off the bus. Wow, this is crazy. What is going on with this phone? You enter the DMV and walk up to the appointments window. After signing in, you receive a number and have a seat. You look up at the screen to see about how long you have to wait. And it looks like it'll be a while. What's the point of even having an appointment? You get out your phone and explore the Sonic Realms website again. It looks like there's a section for Board games? Board games? How would that work? It looks like it's experimental. Ah, what the hell? You've got the time. You're at the DMV. You put on your
4: headphones.
12: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the press conference. Today's panel are names you are probably familiar with. From your left to right, we have Captain Kirkland Fairchild, who will be leading and navigating the expedition. Hello. Sitting to his left is Miss Ratka Engstrom, chief mechanical engineer and designer of the majority of the equipment, including the ship itself. <clears throat> Hi. Next we have Dr. Vivian West, head astroarchaeologist who will be investigating those ancient ruins we've heard so much about. Hello. To her left is chief hydrologist and colonization expert Dr. Conrad Wells. Hi. Next to Dr. Wells is head meteorologist Dr. Calvin Porter, who will be taking close-range data of the unusual weather patterns that have been detected. Hey! And finally, at the other end of the panel is a man whom we've all likely heard about, CEO of the Nova Corporation and nine-time gold medalist in the Maximum Ultimate Games, Mr. Rick Nova. Hi! On behalf of ANSA, I would like to personally thank you, Mr. Nova, for your generous donations towards this expedition. Without the help of Nova Enterprises, we would most likely not have been able to make it to planet Sarabaman before the window closed for the next millennia. Ah, yeah. I'd like to now open the panel up to questions.
2: Yes. Captain Fairchild, you usually navigate and oversee colonization missions. What made you decide to lead an exploratory expedition? Well, first I'd like to thank ANSA for hosting this panel and for facilitating the expedition. Planet Saharumad is located in the farthest reaches of known space. Aside from the interesting data long-range sensors have been picking up, this is a rare, exciting opportunity to witness an unusual planet firsthand, with only the bare minimum of knowledge at our disposal. We stand to gain a lot if we're successful, and if the planet is habitable. Establishing a colony so far away would mean we could explore further out into space, beyond our current long-range capabilities. I could stay behind at space station rail on 12 while the others wormhole home and oversee the colonization process when the fleet arrives. Hopefully these unusual weather patterns won't prove to be a problem.
3: Yes, you, John.
2: My question's for Dr. Porter.
8: Uh, have there been any new updates on the weather patterns? Please, just call me Cal. It's
11: hard to determine, uh, judging from long-range scans. Metallic particulate in the atmosphere, as well as holes in the ozone layer are challenging for our long-range detectors to make sense of. The, The twin rings around the planet don't make things any easier. I can tell you the storm seems to be increasing exponentially in intensity as predicted, though tracking its movements has been challenging. We can't know for sure if it's our sensor readings or some new strange phenomena unique to this planet, but if we can believe the data, This storm doesn't appear to follow the normal rules of meteorology, or
2: even physics, for that matter. Studying it up close could change the way we think about planetary weather phenomena. And hopefully, it could also change the way we think about weather-related small talk with acquaintances. (laughs) That alone makes this mission worth it. (laughs) Yes, you.
1: My question is for Dr. West.
11: Have there been any updates on the ruins? Well, thousands of years ago, its climate was more temperate, enough to sustain life. The planet is dead and dusty now, but it used to be a host to many ancient civilizations. Some of them were quite advanced. Brilliant, actually. We can learn so much from what they left behind. Their sanitation system, for example. Oh, I only wish that we could explore the older ruins close to the poles. But as you know, we can only safely travel to the equator, where the planet's thick rings block the sun somewhat. As the storms worsened, the population was forced into this tiny sliver before they were later wiped out. The rest of the planet is all desert. We call it the Forbidden Desert. That's a little joke that we all have, because if you tried to go there, you'd be dead. Probably in about a day. It'll fry
2: your eyeballs out. We'll be staying clear from the forbidden desert, safely within the center of the habitable zone. Only Dr. Wells will be near the border of the desert, collecting data on the planet's water systems. There should be minimal risk to our eyeballs.
4: <laughs> yes, go ahead. Yes, uh, Mr. Novo, we know the computer's algorithms determine the likelihood of success would increase with your presence there,
2: but... You're surrounded by scientists. Do you feel out of place?
12: I never feel out of place. And of
13: course the computer system would choose someone like me to carry them along. Because I represent Nova Enterprises, and anything that has Nova with it is bound to succeed. And just because I'm not one of your, quote, scientists, doesn't mean I'm not going to be helpful to the mission. Sure, they have their books and degrees and stuff, but I've survived all kinds of natural wildlife. I've parachuted into the deepest deserts and hiked my way out. Rainforests, ice caps, you name it, I've been there. Yeah, I can't wait to check out this alien desert. I know we're not actually going into the desert, but while, they're, while the scientist types are looking through the ruins, I'll get to test out my new dune surfer. Desert starts right at the outskirts of civilization. So I'll take a couple day
4: trips, see how they surf.
12: Yes, go ahead, Marty.
4: Dr. Wells, how will you test the long-term habitability of the planet? Habitation is important because it will allow us to exhaust the resources of yet another planet We all remember what happened on Solara, right? Short-term tests were green, but then we moved into phase two and the water ran out and everyone died I'll be using some cutting-edge water extraction tools Good news is if we do find water then the richest people will have a new planet for their third beach house (laughs) Wow, Doc, tell us how you really feel
12: (laughs) Go ahead Chelsea
7: Yeah, my question is for
9: Arca. You designed the ship and the majority of the equipment. Why are you accompanying the crew on this mission?
5: Well, it wasn't my first choice, but I was personally requested by Captain Fairchild. We've worked together for decades, and he wanted me in on this. He said there would be no one better to handle any mechanical issues, and while my husband and I are not exactly enthralled of the idea of me traveling to the borders of known space to explore a hostile planet, Captain Fairchild has a point. I oversaw the construction of the ship and the majority of the equipment. I know it inside and out. The ship, as well as most of the equipment, has a modular design that will help negate any sort of catastrophic physical damage, and the mycelial nanotech will help the ship self-repair if anything does go wrong. Smart tracking is also embedded within the network, so we'll be leaving with everything we came with. The nanites also allow for minimal repair equipment to be hauled across the star system. The pieces would just have to be assembled correctly. We'll all have triangulators that are linked to the internal network of the ship that should allow us to locate any unusual alloys or phenomenon and track any missing crew members and equipment should that happen. Dr. West has been training with the Super High Volume Lifting Equipment, or SHVLE, which will allow her to essentially become a one-woman excavation team. All but one of us will have hover ATVs, although a few have been slightly customized for the individual's purpose. Dr. Wests has been outfitted to transport the SHVLE. Dr. Wells has an increased water sample capacity. And my ATV is capable of towing other ATVs should anyone break down. Only Mr. Nova will have a different vehicle altogether, at his request. And seeing as how he is partially funding this operation, he's entitled to it. The Dune Surfer is essentially a nimble, lightweight, two-wheeled vehicle with a retractable parachute attachment.
2: And who knows? If we accomplish our mission early, maybe we can take turns going over some dunes, yeah? Rodka, do we have space in the ship for some lawn chairs and a barrel of SPF 5000 sunblock? <laughs> I've been in outer space for so long, I could use a good solid eyeball-frying tan. <laughs> well... <laughs>
0: Sonic Realms
4: presents A Forbidden Desert Hypercut
0: The sun teases the red and purple desert horizon with its tall auras of golden plasma. The planet's rings are visible through the upper atmosphere slowly being illuminated by sunlight like an enormous countdown clock of the gods taking away the minutes to dawn. Dots of wreckage, equipment, and artifacts mar the pristine desert with a plume of smoke rising at the foot of the distorted sand dune. The dune has been pulverized with slags of glass frozen like outward crashing ocean waves. Sparks fall from the hull of the sleek black spacecraft with what look like tiny hairs slowly sprouting from damaged areas. They reach out, trying desperately to close the gaps between them. Light shining through a hole, and the slowly closing fuselage shines down on Radka Engstrom, making the blood on the side of her forehead glisten. Her brow furrows in pain as she awakens to a nightmare. <laughs>
5: uh, 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 oh, God. Dr. Uh, West? Uh, uh, Dr. West, Dr. Wells? Dr. Porter, Captain Fairchild, Rick, where
11: are you all? I'm here. (laughs) I'm covered in junk. (laughs) We must have crashed. Ow! Let me see if I can move some of this stuff.
4: (coughs) I guess we, uh, uh, we're not in the sky anymore.
13: Where are we? Why aren't we moving?
11: Alright, uh, does anyone see Kirk? Does anyone see Dr. Porter? They could be knocked out. Let me just get this beam off and I'll help you. Look.
13: Yeah, here, let me give you a hand with that. One, two, three! Ow!
11: Ow! Careful! I am
13: Ah. careful! Can you shift out?
11: I'm gonna go look for Dr. Porter.
4: You're welcome. How are resources?
11: I'm gonna. I'm gonna head up to the bridge.
13: Yeah, I'll head with you.
11: Dr. Wells, help me get this door open.
4: Okay. Uh,
11: uh, Dr. Porter! Dr. Porter, are you there?
4: Dr. Porter! Are you hurt? Dr. Porter!
11: Dr. Wells, what do you see?
4: Uh, I see... Uh, I see body motionless. I don't know. It must be Porter. We
11: have to get in there. Come on, push harder.
4: I'm so not strong.
11: Dr. Porter! Ugh. Dr. Porter, wake up.
4: Oh, No. Oh no, I think Porter's dead. Dr. No. Porter.
11: No! No! No!
5: Rick, look, is. Is. Is that Kirk?
13: Yeah, he's in the captain's seat. No. Oh, it's a mess oh. up here.
5: Oh god, uh.
11: Kirk? Kirk? Kirk, answer me, Kirk! Kirk? Oh god!
5: He's not responding! Rick, what do we do?
13: I, I don't feel a pulse. I I think the crash was too severe up here.
5: There's so much
11: blood. We found Kirk.
4: Miss Engstrom, Mr. Nova, I think Dr. Porter is dead. Not him too. Him too?
12: Kirk's captain dead. Captain Fairchild
4: didn't survive
13: the
2: crash.
11: Oh, well, what are we gonna do? We don't have a navigator. Our captain is dead. And we don't have a meteorologist. Well, wait, let's, let's take stock of what we do have.
5: All right, let me try and boot this up. I'm going to run a diagnostic. It looks like parts of the computer are missing. And it looks like we're... Oh, God. We,
11: uh, uh, we're in the desert. We've crashed in the desert. Um, I don't think we could survive for a week out here.
13: A week? We'll be lucky to survive the day. Yeah, I have to check the water reserves.
5: We're going to have to try and put this ship back together. It has started healing, but we need to find those pieces and put it all back together.
13: How many pieces are we missing for the ship?
5: It looks like it broke into its modular parts, so at least there's that. We're only going to need... We're only going to need four pieces. Well, obviously we have the main body here, but we're missing our power management, the navigation, and and it looks like we're missing our propulsion and our and our
11: engines. Oh, so let me get this straight: we have to we have to go through the desert, we have to find four missing parts of the ship, and we have to do it before we all get killed.
13: Is there any way of pinpointing where these pieces may have fallen?
11: Each piece is equipped with smart tracking. We know that.
5: So if we can use these triangulators to find them, then it should give us a good area of where to look for each piece.
4: So you're saying we're out here on an alien planet and the only two people who know the terrain are dead. Come on, man.
13: You sail one desert, you sail them all. I know this terrain. I can figure it out. Yeah, we'll
4: see about that.
5: Well... We at least know about how big the grid of search area is. We can split up, if you guys think that's a good idea, and cover more area.
4: We shouldn't split up. If we split up, then our resources might run low. Any of us could die at any second.
11: Any of us could die at any second here anyway. This is... We're in the Forbidden Desert. It looks like the ship broke up
5: with about a... 50 kilometer radius with most of the wreckage located northeast of us.
11: Oh, that's great. We can search 50 kilometers with these specialized ATVs.
4: Search? You guys want to search? It's hot now and it's just going to keep getting worse. The ozone is partially depleted. Long range scans indicate that weather phenomena can sporadically superheat this area. So that means our water reserves will be vastly depleted if we head out from this place right now.
11: Well, we're also going to die if we stay in here. If there's
5: a chance that we can survive, we have to take it. We can't just sit here and die slowly. Our best way of getting out of here is the ship. I'm sorry, but that's my priority right now. I'm going to go look for pieces of the ship.
4: I'm staying here. We need to conserve water and then figure out what we're going to do next.
11: Well, we should definitely all stick together, but I think we should all go out and look for parts. None of this splitting up stuff. That never works in movies. Well, how about I take Rick, and we
5: go out, and we look for the ship parts, and you two can do whatever you need to do, sticking together here. Rick, let's... Rick? Rick?
11: Where's Rick? Trust Rick to go running off by himself. Let's see if his intercom is responding.
5: Rick, where did you go? Aren't you supposed to say over, over? Rick, where did you go, over?
13: I'm heading northeast, right next to, uh, just by this huge freaking
12: tornado. It's awesome, it's helping with the, uh, fill the sails and gave me a little more speed.
5: Rick, that's the storm, the one thing that we're not supposed to go near. Oops,
4: too late. Yeah, looks like splitting apart was a good idea.
5: All right, I, I can see. Maybe the rest of us should stick together. I mean, you do have the water.
12: So uh, I'm looking in my room for a mirror.
5: Wow, it looks angry. Is it alive? Be careful out there, Rick. I'm gonna stick near you guys. Besides the ship parts, our next priority should be water. Are you finding any readings of any water anywhere close? <sighs>
4: my instruments are picking up something that might be water. Uh, A little bit to the east and a little bit to the northeast.
5: Dr. Wells, come with me and we'll get closer to where you're finding your water readings.
4: I don't want to do that.
5: Listen, Dr. Wells, you have the most water available. You're going to have to share that with both me and Dr. West. I don't have as much water because I'm carrying the tow rig. So, you need to come with me so that I can explore safely with your water reserve.
0: Okay, but I'm not going far from the ship. Dratka attaches some critical parts of the ship to her vehicle, then takes off with Dr. Wells. After traveling five kilometers from the ship, Dr. Wells glances at his rearview mirror, looks behind him, and brings his vehicle to a stop. Brodka stops with him. They remove their goggles.
4: Miss Engstrom, this is as far from the ship as I want to go. I'm picking it up nearby, but I'm not leaving the ship within my sights.
5: All right, as long as you're nearby and you can get to the water in time to help me, I'm gonna move on and see what I can find approximately 10 kilometers northeast of here.
0: Brodka notices an unusual looking sand dune in the distance. As she approaches, she sees that it's not a sand dune at all. She hits it with her sand blaster, revealing a partially subterranean structure.
5: Rick! Dr. West! Dr. Wells! I've uncovered something here. It looks like... You know, I... it looks like a tunnel. I think we could shelter here if we needed to. Wow, it is a lot cooler in here. I will do one sweep with the lights. Oh. Uh, huh. There's... Huh. There's something very... There's a gray capsule against the south wall of this tunnel. I, I'm going to open it up.
0: The ancient metallic capsule opens easily. Its faint magnetic field barely holding it closed at all.
5: Dr. West, do you know anything about what looks like a headband, eyeglasses attached to it, and lenses that seem to shift three pairs.
11: Oh! Rodka, you could have found a terrascope, maybe.
5: What does a teroscope do?
11: Well, the records don't exactly explain how it works, but somehow um, it lets you um, kind of x-ray the sand around you.
5: Um, so you can, you can see things that are buried. I'm gonna try it out. No, 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 don't try it out. Who knows how long it's buried?
11: What if you break it?
5: Good point. I'll keep it and see if there's a need for it.
0: Several kilometers away, too far to be seen by anyone else, Rick Nova has been watching a twisting tornado off in the distance. Mesmerized by its strange movements, it moves almost like an insect. Quickly darting in random directions. The distance makes it difficult to ascertain just how fast the storm is moving.
13: Huh, look at that. The storm's moving away. Oh, wait. No. No! Ah! It's coming right for me! Ah!
0: A two-meter wave of sand springs up near Rick and crashes overhead, partially burying him in his vehicle.
13: I got sand in my eyes! Ah! Ah, it just passed right over me. Ah, I can't see anything.
11: Are you alright, there?
13: I, I've i lost my bearings. I'm not sure where I am, but uh, uh, I should be able to figure it out soon. Woo! That's a tough one.
12: Maybe you should come back toward us.
13: Yeah, yeah. I'll see what I can find in this quadrant, and then I'll head back in a little bit.
11: Guys? Uh, guys? Can you hear me? Uh, I'm getting a lot of
12: feedback from the storm. What's up, Vivi?
11: Don't call me that. I think I'm gonna start heading north and see if there are any parts over there. Are you sure you're not heading west? <laughs> yeah, maybe this will work out to my advantage, actually. Those idiots would probably have messed up any artifacts that they've found. I can go off and find them myself. The intercom's
10: still on. But I appreciate your confidence, us. Huh?
0: Dr. West drives to the northeast of the wreckage. <laughs> After half an hour, comes to a stop.
11: Well, I've gone as far as I can. Oh, wait. My sensors are picking something up. I'm gonna dig, guys.
0: Dr. West secures her goggles and activates her SHVLE. A tremendous cloud of dust and sand bursts forth, filling her vision. Hundreds of kilograms of sand are quickly whisked away, gently falling back to the planet's surface like sheets of rain.
11: I don't see any ship parts down here. I, um... I wonder if there's some interference. <sighs> Maybe I'll find something. I'm gonna keep digging. No, don't waste the time
0: digging. If you didn't find anything, move on. As Dr. West turns around to move back to her vehicle, she sees a mound defiantly standing amidst the smooth carpet of freshly strewn
11: sand. Oh, what's this? It looks like a. some sort of jug. Well, I found out what was creating the interference. It looks like some kind of jug of some kind. Oh, this must be one of the secret water reserves that the ancients had. Oh, my gosh. I've always wondered what these looked like. Oh, my gosh. I could be drinking the same water that they used to drink.
10: Yes,
4: it's water. Keep it with you. If it gets hot out there, you might need it. All right. Well, if I'm going to be stuck out here, I'm going to dig. I'm going to stay near the ship, though. This is really weird. My triangulator says that a piece of the power management system should be right here, but there's nothing here. Keep
3: looking, Dr. Wells. We have to
11: locate that. It's integral. I wonder, there's so much interference from the storm. It's possible that our triangulators are only picking up, I don't know, Ratka, would it be that it would be picking up maybe an axis? Yeah, it looks like this sand particulate is
4: significant enough to interfere with our triangulation. I'm glad, because this was seeming too easy.
11: Yeah. I wouldn't want you to be wrong. So that means that we know that this part is down south somewhere where you are. And we just don't know exactly where.
4: I'm gonna keep digging around the ship. Huh, this is really weird. The triangulator's doing the same thing except now this is clearly the engine part. I don't know what's going on. Are we gonna find real parts?
11: Thanks to all your digging, we know that the power management system is in the south, and the engine is a little bit north of that. Is that right, Rodka? Yeah, there wouldn't be any false readings, so if you're reading them, then you're close. So
5: all we have to do now is figure out the other axis that you're missing, and
11: we should be able to pinpoint the two points when they meet.
0: Ratka stares into the dark tunnel, the walls are quickly becoming illuminated, but there are no lights turning on. She turns around to look at the tunnel entrance and winces. The sky appears to rapidly be getting brighter. She is reminded of old nuclear blast footage from the pre-world peace era as she raises her hand to shade her eyes.
13: Oh God.
1: Well, what's happening? You look down at your phone. The screen looks like it's all garbled with some kind of high resolution static. There's some sort of gray mist seeping out of the seams of your phone. The screen then clears up as the mist runs out, revealing the old clunky Sonic Realms website. You explore it and discover it's totally back to how you remembered it. What did you just see? Was this a glimpse into the future? There was so much content there a wide variety of worlds and characters to choose from. You look up at the DMV wait screen. Looks like you'll still be here for a while. You scroll to the bottom of the Sonic Realms page, thinking about what this site could be. Was it a dream? There's that Patreon support button. How does time travel even work? Is this a multiverse situation here? Divergent timelines? Will this money travel through time and alter the course of history, making what you saw and listened to a reality? That would be awesome. That note on the website mentioned something about Sonic Realms being a listener-supported production company. Your finger hovers over the Patreon button. What do you do?
2: What if you could have your campaign turned into a Hyper Chronicle What game would you play? What character would you be? What story would you and your friends live? We created Sonic Realms with that goal in mind, but this dream can only become reality with your help. Help us take the next step towards bringing your stories to life by donating if you can, or leaving a review if you can't. We hope you enjoyed listening to this peek into a possible future. Sonic Realms has a limited lifespan unless it reaches a critical mass of support. As an example of current constraints, this episode alone has maxed out the monthly podcast hosting bandwidth for our meager budget, so we can't release new episodes for at least another month. But not to worry, you can hear the prequel to the legally unnamed Sword and Sorcery episode and Episode 2 of Forbidden Desert exclusively at the new and improved SonicRealmsPodcast.com right now. However, we suggest you save them for later. After two straight months of editing day and night, improving the website and logo, talking to lawyers and marketers while simultaneously working a grueling day job, a break is sorely needed to keep sane. That's why we're leaving you with two long episodes in the meantime to enjoy until the Shadowrun podcast continues in September. A special thank you to the current patrons whose support has gotten us this far. We hope you'll join us in ushering a new, never before heard genre of entertainment into the world. It really cannot be done without your help. Together, we can make this happen. The future of Sonic Realms is in your hands. Remember, Mouse Guard Game Mastering by Air Sheeps. Narration by Torvald Tempestus. Tybalt is played by Marcus Freeman. Endolin is played by Hio. Jarin is played by Paul Greenleaf. Additional voices by Torvald Tempestus and Paul Greenleaf. Editing, arrangement, and original music by Paul Greenleaf. MouseGuard was created by David Peterson and published by Archaea Studios Press. MouseGuard role-playing game and burning wheel system created by Luke Crane. David Peterson, Luke Crane, and Archaea Studios Press have sole ownership of the names, logo, artwork, marks, photographs, sounds, audio, video, and or any proprietary material used in connection with the game MouseGuard, and in no way endorse or are affiliated with Sonic Realms in any official capacity whatsoever. Legally Unnamed Game There are more recorded sessions ready to be transformed into exciting hypercuts, but we need to know if there's enough interest for the story to continue. You can let us know through social media, Patreon, or sweet, sweet podcast reviews. It can't be done without your help. Game Mastering, Narration, and Original World by Ellis Reed. Bruce is played by Max Romans. Viertenen is played by Cassie Polehammer. Oskar is played by Chris DeMille. Vera is played by Michael Bond IV. Grutak was voiced by Marcus Freeman. Eerie de Corillon was voiced by Mackenzie Paulus. Prisoner was voiced by Jake Ream. Female Prisoner was voiced by Belinda Campbell. Traumatized Prisoner was voiced by Torvald Tempestus. Paladin Leader was voiced by Paul Greenleaf. Blind Orc was voiced by Nick Redmond. Editing by Cassie Polhammer and Paul Greenleaf. Arrangement and original music by Paul Greenleaf. Additional voices by... Ellis Reed, Joe Carey, Jackson Chalinor, Tony Campbell, Brandon Cruz, and Omni. Forbidden Desert. The entire game was recorded and is ready to be transformed into a full, exciting Hyper Chronicle. But we need to know if there's enough interest for the story to be concluded. You can let us know through social media, Patreon, or sweet, precious podcast reviews. It can't be done without your help. Forbidden Desert was created by Matthew LeCocq and published by Game Right Games. Editing, arrangement, and original music by Paul Greenleaf. Narration by Nick Klein. News conference moderator voiced by Tony Galliano. Rick Nova slash Explorer is played by Kyle Fox. Dr. Vivian West slash archaeologist is played by Kimberly McCord. Dr. Conrad Wells slash water carrier is played by Chris Tommaso. Radka Engstrom slash climber is played by Torvald Tempestus. Dr. Calvin Porter slash meteorologist voiced by Marcus Freeman. Captain Kirkland Fairchild slash navigator voiced by Paul Greenleaf. Additional voices by Tony Campbell, Ellis Reed, Brandon Cruz, Joe Carey, Omni, and Cassie Polehammer. Special thanks to Matthew Laycock. Matthew Laycock and GameRight Games Inc. have sole ownership of the names, logo, artwork, marks, photograph, sounds, audio, video, and or any proprietary material used in connection with the game Forbidden Desert and in no way endorse or are affiliated with Sonic Realms in any official capacity whatsoever. <laughs> Metanarrative. Narration by Brandon Cruz. Additional voices by Paul Greenlee. Announcements by Eric Beeson. Edited and arranged by Paul Greenlee. We did not create or own any of the games listed on the Sonic Realms website or podcast, nor claim to have. We simply play these awesome games, record it, and enhance the emergent original stories developed within the setting. If you like the setting or adventures, you can live your own by buying these amazing games and supporting the tabletop gaming industry. And hey, thanks for listening.
5: He's good. Everyone head to the launch pad. Everyone head to the launch pad. Everyone head to the launch pad.
11: Everyone head to the launch pad. 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 Everyone head to the launch
2: pad. Paul dances in the corner like a fool. <laughs> that was an
11: organic moment. That
4: was fun. That was, that was We're all like. Sun a down. sunbeats down. sunbeats yeah. down. Yeah. Let's go. I know Let's the solar go. shield's so cool. Oh! <laughs> I sweat. I sweat. I
5: sweat. Man, I am emotionally invested in this yeah. game right now. Yeah. It looks like the ship broke up in about a 50-mile radius with most of the wreckage being northeast of us. A kilometer.
11: Fuck! <laughs> that was so good! <laughs> <laughs> that was so good, though.
5: It looks like the ship broke up in about a 50-mile radius with most... A kilometer.
11: R- <laughs> Fuck! It looks...
5: Kilometers. Are these liters or gallons?
4: gallons? We're calling them gallons. Okay.
5: Yeah, we're doing kilometers, kilometers in gal- and gallons. Yeah.
11: Anyway,
4: <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah. said earlier, and that's I'm like, true. wait yeah, a second.
5: Yeah. That's
11: okay. It's it's already it's been established. Late. Thank you, Dr. Wells.
4: <laughs> just keep an eye on your water reserves.
5: <laughs> <laughs> that's like the fuck you from the water
13: <laughs> <laughs> Keep your eye on your water reserves.
5: <laughs>
4: because I'm not
13: going to help you. <laughs>
5: Then it's also then
11: it's also will. <laughs> yeah, but we're not gonna get this shit moving if we're all sitting in tunnels. Did you say shit or
2: shit? It sounded like shit.
4: It seems similar to a tripod, but it has four legs and an extendable frame and some kind of translucent membrane that's tucked in it. Wouldn't that be a quad pod? You're... Sorry. <laughs> I'm about to take <laughs> you, you
5: down.
0: You <laughs> Defiantly standing amidst the stint. I feel like I'm saying amidst, weird. Amidst. Defiantly standing amidst the stent. Defiantly standing... All right, here we go. For now, the desert seems to have returned to its unusual... To its unusual sweltering heat. Really, Nick?
11: Every single one of these artifacts that's broken is breaking my heart. <laughs> or,
5: or we have to <laughs> wait, we have to wait.
13: <laughs> I love
5: that. That was awesome. It's breaking my heart. <laughs> All right.
2: No, it's okay. It's okay. Your input
4: is always appreciated, Mister Nova.
12: See, I know. It's okay. it's I know. We like have to do time. it again. It's okay. <laughs> 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 ah.
13: After this sand, uh, after bleh bleh.
6: <laughs>
13: after I blew off this sand, it looks like there's a nice flat rocky ra- uh, rock.
6: <laughs> Take two. A rocky place. Three. Rocky place.
4: I'll be using some cutting edge water extraction tools, and the good news is, if we do find water, then the
2: richest people. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> why computer
5: oh, no the same water There's they drink right? like you could think yeah. about how someone put their lips to this
2: yeah if only it was calvin's
11: oh cow nice.
2: okay i okay. not like blushing up fictional yeah.
12: character jaren
2: <laughs> <character. laughs> <laughs> you are approached by uh, what was his name garen gavin <laughs> Gavin.
13: My enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Quite, that's, right, that's exactly what it says. Quite.
4: As much as I dislike you, Jaren, I
3: have
7: to agree. But we'll settle this next time.
2: Perfect. Yes, next time, Gavin. Next time, Gadget. Uh,
13: <laughs>
11: go, go, gadget, gadget, Jaren.
8: Oh, oh my god. <laughs> this is fucking perfect. All right. <laughs> You are noticing more and more men uh, going down below. Oh, he's noticing more men Ooh,
5: going down, down. M- below. Down.
8: Oh. <laughs> yes, more men going down below.
10: To right, right, good, good shot. This, this is
4: Oscar's mates. We've all come, come around, around to just to do the job, to do the job, for, the job for you. Two, two, two.
8: You don't have to go that English. Um,
2: <laughs> is. is Joran, wait! Right, I'm getting confused.
3: So I'm sitting. Uh, fuck! <laughs> it's all good. I'm it's still good. trying to figure out.
12: Hold on
9: in a fluid motion, I take out my sword as I move towards this man and swiftly uh, attack him across the.
8: Neck. We'll say neck. Ju- I'm, uh, we're talking literally the second before you do this. The last thing you hear this guy say is um, is, is who who else is there? But
2: uh, you, sorry, you hear? Uh, let's see. Um, I thought he was going to say like my children at home are missing me, and so is my wife. Oh no!
8: No.
10: no, no,
9: no. <laughs> They are going to miss you, buddy.
2: Just no. no. <laughs> finished no. with this job so um. I can see
3: my children again.
2: Son, is that you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. That my handicapped son who needs my constant care, is that you? <laughs> you guys are trying to make this hard on me, aren't you? Oh, yeah, hard on um, him, yeah. What? <laughs> you
10: have the power! Is that you, Burvis? What you bring me?